Just remember, there's a special place in hell for women who don't help each other. In the culture war, there are no winners, just podcasters. Only a few are willing to risk their lives in the face of some of the dumbest ideas to have ever captured human civilization. Every week, I, Megan Down, and my partner, Sarah Hader, humbly accept this mission in order to bring you conversations that are equal parts stunning, brave, and unhinged. Hello, Sarah. Hi, Megan. Uh, we have a, a very special this is this is this is like going to be stunning and brave next level stunning and brave. Yeah. We're um every every time we just up the ante and this time it's going to be extraordinary. So we have Ayla. Yeah. And I in my head I've been saying it Ayla the whole time so yeah. I'm going to Yeah, most people do. Or like I think 64% last time I polled. Yeah. Oh. So you're not in the I changed the pronunciation of my last name like halfway, like a few years ago. And I, I mean, I, it's a long story that we won't go into now, but it was a huge disaster and I should never have messed oh, with well, it. What, were you, were yeah. you trying to like match the way people were already pronouncing no, it? No, I was trying to be loyal to my parents. They, um, we grew up pronouncing it one way and then I realized my parents had been mispronouncing it. And so I went back to the other way. And then when I started a podcast, my parents were dead. I felt bad saying my last name the the in a different way than they had said it because I was speaking it out loud all the time. Uh-huh. And so then I went back to saying it their way. But for 20 years, people had thought it was Dom. I went back to saying Dom and people thought it was Dom. Anyway, I should have just made up a stage name like when I was 20, like you. Yeah. So mm-hmm. well, well That's done. Go. It yeah. is. Yeah. yeah. What what made you choose this name actually? It was like, was uh, there something about it? Is dude, it from I'm something? So I ex- I had no idea. I was just picking a internet screen name and I just picked a oh. list. like the, there's a list of Greek mythological characters, like the obscure ones mm-hmm. off of a Wikipedia page. And I was like an alphabetical list. I didn't get very far. <laughs> oh, it's good to be an A, an A and an E. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it was like basic. It was like not super taken in namespace. It was like easy to remember. It was like clearly feminine. It sounded like it, it hit all of like the markers for a good like internet name. And I just used to say it was for being a cam girl. Mm. Um, but and then it just like, spiraled out of control. And now it's everything. So that's cool. good. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I should have gone with the stage name too. I'm just it's a lot cooler. Yeah. All kinds of regrets here. Yeah. Yeah, I know. So, well, a lot of our audience does know who you are, but I think some don't. So uh, we thought maybe we would just start in the beginning. I won't make you, we won't make you like go through your whole life story in in granular detail, but um, I don't know. Maybe you could start off. How do people get into the camp girl thing? Like, do you think it's too late for for Sarah and and, and me? Oh, no. This doesn't work out. We might have to. You have to just yeah. sign, make an account, upload your ID to verify that you're overage, and then you click live stream. <laughs> that's not a that's not a worry. Yeah. We're definitely we're definitely of age. Yeah, I think yeah. you probably do. Maybe you could even host a podcast on a live streaming site. That might be interesting. Oh, oh, but do we have to like do something? Do we have to strip? Do know. we have to? Oh, okay. Do whatever well, then. you want. Okay, it's just well, like then... a you broadcast, and then people can tip you live through it. Oh. oh. Yeah, I like that. I yeah. like that too. Based okay. on if like we say something witty or intelligent, 
Oh, like, well, is then it, they're not going to take a metric. Megan. Does it go up? <laughs> well, these are primarily men, so they okay. don't care quite that much about being. Our, our men are super nerdy and smart, though. Oh, then you might have a shot. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so okay, so we know that you grew up in a very religious background. You went to you you were homeschooled, and I actually have a lot of questions about the effect that that had on you and how that kind of shaped your your psyche. Uh, but before we get into that, like, tell us how you went from a, a super Christian homeschooling household to a cam girl, cam girl yeah. hi- hyper success. Yeah, I yeah. Think the Christian thing like maybe backfired slightly, or or I did some sort of like taking. <laughs> you thing. think? <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean. It, there was some sort of like taking things seriously, like, oh, if you're going to be Christian, you have to be really Christian. Like, you don't want to be just culturally, you have to take it seriously. Like, we're not going to just casually hold beliefs. We're going to make sure we understand. And then I was like, okay. And then anyway, after I got out into the world and I realized that like none of the rules applied here, like everything was different. It was just was a completely culturally different space. And then I just didn't know which rules I should take versus leave. Like they were like, oh, don't have a ton of promiscuous sex, which is a thing that normal culture has. But my parents also had like, don't hold hands before marriage, right? Which is not something. And so it was like kind of hard for me to distinguish like which were the rules that like culture held versus didn't hold. So I just sort of threw them all out. I was like, okay, everything's a blank slate. I'm going to start from total scratch. And what is scratch? Scratch is I would like to have sex with people, probably. So I just went and just would go out to people to have sex with them. I'd like walk up to them and be like, would you like to bang me? No. And then no, it, okay, really? wait, at what at what stage? This was before you started doing the cam stuff. Yeah. Like when when was this? This was like, when you left home, leaving home and losing my faith, but like before starting the camp. So I was already, I'm saying like I've already like shifted into some sort of like really extreme state. Where I was just like, if you want sex, go get sex. Like that was literally the all of it. I was like, I feel like I'm aroused. Let's go find somebody to put their penis in. <laughs> so you weren't, okay. Cause so you were not like interested in having a boyfriend. So, but arousal meant like actually going and finding someone to have sex with you. You were not like, were you like self pleasuring? Like what was, was it like there's sex meant going and finding somebody to do that with? Yeah. I mean, it's a variety of things. Like also masturbation. Uh, I did have boyfriends, but at that point I was poly. So, and then but like sometimes I had boyfriends, sometimes I didn't. But there was like just a lot of time where I was like living alone. And I'm like, well. <laughs> and what year was this? Well, year. Like, how old were you? Like, I think yeah, that's, the, well, that's a relevant 20, metric. 21, 22. But I think the year is relevant because like the poly thing would have been very much in the air. I'm just trying to think like yeah. how prevalent in the culture that oh, was. Culturally, I was, it, to, wait, how old was I? This is like 10 years ago. Was, I, I became poly as soon as I heard what it was. I was like 19 and I was still like one foot into the conservative world. And then I heard some people be like, oh yeah, we're poly. And I was like, that's it. That's me. And just like from then on, I've never doubted it. I was just like clearly like, oh, that is clearly what I am. But what did that mean to you? Was it just like the alternative to being like in a committed relationship, like boring marriage? No, it's just uh, uh, not uh, polyamory doesn't mean you're not committed. It just means that you don't restrict your partner from intimacy. With right. Others. So to me, it was just like, because before I had started out with a, like a monogamous boyfriend, because that's just I didn't think that you could do anything else. I wasn't in my awareness. This was a monogamous boyfriend. And I was really, I and then at some point in that relationship, I wanted to have sex with somebody else. And it just didn't make sense to me why I couldn't. I was like, this has nothing to do with you. This doesn't affect my relationship with you. I love you equally, regardless if I have sex with this other person. 
Like, I, it just didn't make... And then after that, it just didn't... I just couldn't go back to that. That's so okay. interesting. Because I feel like when I um, hear your life story and kind of how you think about things you know, or at least what I, what I see of you thinking about things on Twitter. <laughs> um, I feel a great deal of resonance. You know, I feel like there's mm-hmm. like so many ways in which I, I, I feel like I walked that, you know, I walked that path myself, but, but in, in so many ways also I'm like the mirror image of you. I kind of went like the, this trad route again. You weren't um, going up to people and asking them to have sex with you. Sarah, I don't think I so ever did brand. that. I don't think I ever did that. Um, <laughs> No one ever did that to me either, actually. Oh, really? Yeah. No one's ever just walked up to me and asked for sex. Well, yeah. I mean, Does that mean there's something sure wrong they, with me? Like, they're just... Did, they like, cat, did you get catcalled? Have I gotten catcalled in... Yeah, yeah. I mean, not... Re- so that's, that's the, the thing same. is, but I don't really... Like, I'm not, like, walking around in a city, you know? I live in suburban, like, neighborhoods. Like, nobody... Who's catcalling around here? Well, but you did. You have lived in cities. I have lived in cities. Right. So, so Ayla, you were going up to guys and saying, do you want to have sex with me? To be clear, like, as if asking them, like, do you have a, someone I had talked to a little bit or maybe an acquaintance, but usually the thing, it felt a little out of the blue for them. I think. Yeah. And how did it go? Like the first time you did that, what was the situation? I don't remember. I think it's like, I don't remember that much. It was 10 years ago. So I remember which was the first time I just would go have casual sex and be like, all right, cool. I mean, eventually it took me a while to realize I didn't actually enjoy it that much. And I mostly stopped. To be clear. <laughs> so like maybe you were more advanced than me, Sarah. I don't know. But. Skip that step and realized I, I just wasn't going to be into it. I think yeah. I was just mm, way more disgusted by strangers. Like, and I still mm-hmm. am. Um, and it takes me a while to get over that disgust. And that might be, that might be part of it. Mm. Yeah. I think that's pretty common. Maybe yeah. Yeah. the vast majority of women, I would suspect. But it's interesting. Like, it sounds like you didn't have a sort of, or your blueprint for sex and relationships it wasn't even negative. It was non-existent, mm-hmm. like from what I understand. And I know you've talked about, um, is it Grow With God? Was that the program that your parents oh, subscribed to? I really Yes. Well, I've tried to do some research. I think this is interesting. Yeah. Well, also because I think Sarah should implement this parenting method because I think it would help our, for our scheduling purposes. So basically, okay. if the baby cries, you don't pick it up because what? you don't want the baby to be needy. And you okay. want it to be self-sufficient. Is that, am and I this is a religious, this is a religious doctrine. How does that get, I, that feels to me that it's very modern. Like I feel like in the sixties and so like, like around, there was a time in which that became popular, but it wasn't always the case. No, it's not like super old traditional yeah, I mean, doctrine. Like, it couldn't have been. How, like a lot of varieties of like religious stuff are not super old. Uh, like we were Calvinists and that's not like that old, you know, but the baby thing, it was, it came out of, you know, the, the should be headship over the child. You know, you, there's a strict order of hierarchy and you're supposed to enforce that. And so you should at every point, anytime a child is trying to exert their will over yours, demonstrate that like, no, my will comes first. And so if you, if the baby's like crying and trying to get your attention or like they're trying to like demonstrate upset over something, like you're not supposed to like behave in a way that like let, lets the child think that they have power. Sarah, you got to yeah. get on. No, um, it's too late. You don't know how often... We have to like reschedule stuff because her kids are like, I want you to do something. I want to be picked up. I want to be fed. Feds changed all kinds of demands. 
No, I'm at the bottom of the of the power hierarchy, I think, in our household. Isn't that the case of like many moms, though? Like you're at the very bottom. You're the one. Yeah, it's always the mom. But this is kind of like, don't take this the wrong way. But this is like how you train a dog. It's very similar. Yeah, like, explicitly. The, my parents would often be like, oh, yes, like it's like training dogs. Yeah, they're the head of the pack. And so the the logic with dogs is the dog is actually um, very soothed. It's more relaxing for the dog not to be in charge. Like to be the alpha is stressful. Mm. So, I mean, so how did that work? I mean, did you, because the, the obvious pop psychology, like response to what you're describing would be like, oh, you were denied any kind of physical affection that must've been terrible. And so therefore like it's sort of, it's, it's played out in this, on the sexual landscape later. I mean, that's, that's a very reductive interpretation, but like, do you have any, like, do you have any diagnosis or like thoughts as to why? your brain is wired the way it is? Uh, My guess is it's mostly genetics. I think that there's like a strong temptation to like put on narratives into your past. Like, oh, I was raised this way. I'm like have these kinks or these psychological hangups. I think it might be true, but you know, generally your siblings were raised also in identical ways and they have very different psychological hangups than you. And so I'm like, like to what degree is it you're just the way that your brain works versus what you actually went through? And I think it's just so tempting to look at the narratives and be like that matches because it's really easy yeah. to notice the things that match and not notice the things that don't. Although mm-hmm. I do suspect I have like some of my kind of like fuck you authority comes from that because the uh, the the upbringing was like quite harsh, you know, a mm-hmm. lot of like suppression of the things that you want, even if it doesn't matter, it's just because you want them like in order to demonstrate power. Uh, yeah. so that so now I'm like fucking I just can't handle like any sort of pressure like force to get me to do things I'm like nope I'm gonna do things only when I want to I can't like have a lot of trouble working for other people like anytime I've been in a collaboration with a project or like working with a boss or in any it's just I explode horribly it's bad do you have siblings two younger yeah and what do they do are they do they have more like traditional lives and work one is very situations and so she is gallivanting around Europe, uh, being charismatic at people, and then they're giving her things. Uh, the other is a stripper. Okay. Wow. So how do your how do your parents how do your parents take this? it? That, yeah. How did they? How <laughs> are they all over Facebook I mean, I, yeah. being like, hey, like uh, posting graduation photos, smugly, <laughs> like all the other parents these days? No, I. You know, a lot of parents. Um, are their parents less conservative than mine that did more shunning of their kids for like other people in the sex work world? Uh, it was um, not that uncommon to like be hanging out with sex work. They're like, oh yeah, my parents don't talk to me anymore. I'm like, yeah, you know, that's just the way it works. Um, but, uh, but uh, I think it helped a little bit that like when I left home, I kind of like fucking lost it. i like left at 17 and I was just like, I'm not talking to you my dad anymore. I'm, I'm going to go do my own thing. I'm going to go like have sex with a bunch of random people, you know, a lot of crazy shit. And so I think uh, that made my parents feel like, oh, if we behave wrong, we're going to lose our kids a little bit. Uh, I still talk to my dad, but I think they chilled out a lot with my sisters and uh, are, do have like very like nice, polite relationships with us. I, I think you're right in terms of the, the genetics have have much to do with it or even all to do. I mean, it actually irritates me quite a bit because like I have a, you know, a story, uh, a unique like background. People try to read a lot of my you know, current like political inclinations or even just how I choose to live my life, how I choose to socialize with people um, as a, you know, as a consequence of my, of, of like the, like it, you're, you're now kind of this 
tradish person because this is how you, this is how you were raised and this is what's comfortable for you. And, and I'm like, I don't think it has anything. To, it, it is how I'm comfortable, but I don't think it has anything to do with yeah. how I was raised. Really, I think that's just something that happened to me. You know, yeah, um, it's like the just so story. Like if you can, if you could be anything, and then you could use the same story to explain it. Like of course you're very trad. You were raised trad, or like of course yeah. you're not trad. You were raised trad. Like if that's, if you can like yeah. insert any sort of result into the end, then you know the argument itself is bad. Yeah. I've seen that a lot with like, even even people who talk about like alcoholism, they'll say, you know, I, I, uh, I'm not an alcoholic because I saw that my father was, you know. Um, I'm like, you know, maybe that's why, maybe that, maybe that affected you um, a lot. And now you chose to make different decisions or not touch alcohol at all. Or maybe you're just a different person, you know. Like if but that that's person okay. probably is an alcoholic. They just don't drink. If they were right. an alcoholic, they if they were drinking, they would drink alcoholically. So. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I just think that that so much of what we are is. I mean, it's 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 not like uh, to say that we're necessarily going to be one way or another due to our genetics. It's that we have to recognize that we come from a kind of a we come from a pool, mm-hmm. and a lot of what the kind of predispositions that we end up exploring have to do with with you know our parents and who the kind of people they were and the genetic code they gave us um it's just a very uh, you know it, to the extent that i'm uh, i feel out of step with i guess online trad culture in a lot of ways actually but but one of the <laughs> one of the ways that i one of the things i notice about them is that they're very into um child rearing like in a very particular way like raise your children to be like this and have them believe this and then they will be you know and then they won't go through rebellion and you know when when they're teenagers and they'll have good relationships with you or whatever um and I just feel like I think the way that we raise our children probably has less to do with their outcomes than we imagine like a lot less to do with their outcomes Mm -hmm. um and I I think what you instead should be maximizing is, you know, happiness and spending time and enjoying each other's company, like in the present day, rather than trying to socially engineer a kind of outcome, like socially engineer a person, (laughs) Um, you know? So yeah, that's my, that's my spiel there. But um, your persona now, like online is very interesting to me. So let's just go back through your story a little bit. You were raised in this really, um, christian environment um was it was this a specific you said calvinist i don't yeah. so i don't 100 percent understand what that means we um, believe in predestination is the okay. primary thing so we believe okay. that not by works of righteousness which you've done but according to his mercy he saved us or like you uh, are saved by god's he just chose you for some reason and this results in your salvation because if you chose to believe that would be considered a work and thus you could be prideful about it Huh. Okay. Did your parents, um, were they brought up this way or did they convert yeah. into this? Both of my parents were new converts. Okay. Yeah. Like, I knew as in like my grandparents, none of my grandparents were religious. Okay. Right. That's so did they meet yeah. like in, in the, a world of converts? They, they met in, in the context of this religion or did they join it together? Did they get into it together? I think they met right around, I think they both converted around like teenage years ish. And they met also, I, th- I don't think they met in the religion, but they're in the same circles or something. And then. Wow. 
Yeah. yeah, that's so interesting. It's because it does sound a lot like the the zealotry of the converted, you the know. New converts, so yeah. you got okay. So you went from you did cam, you did the camming, um, and then you um, became sex worker. You worked in escort. I don't know if you're still doing that. And of course, now you're a pollster, which is Sarah's Sarah's parallel. Uh, Sarah's shadow self is a is a pollster. She yeah. loves polls, and why is it only shadow? She could do her life over again. She would be a pollster. She would be Kellyanne Conway. Basically. Yeah, probably. Yeah. So, so we want to know, uh, how you got into, you know, what, what, what the sex work was like, if that's still going on and how that kind of parlayed into, into polls, because yeah, it's from the poll. And I know you poll. want a stripper. Oh, yeah. from the stripper uh, poll to the Megan, online poll. Oh my gosh. Yeah. This is where you got to We got to They didn't call this. me. I'm not an old <laughs> magazine writer for nothing. All right. Okay. <laughs> All right. I should probably actually do some stripping just so that I can make that pun. Uh, right yeah. here. Feel free because we need we clips. need the we need, we need the tips. I mean, and we're, the a new, we're a new show. We need the poll though to be able to make the poll the pun. We can oh, probably okay. like CGI that in later. They okay, can do okay. anything. In oh, post. I do. I I forgot. I used to have a mind poll routine where I would mind like a stripper poll and then. Oh yeah. Oh <laughs> yeah. Cause you did miming. You were a mime, a stripper yeah. mime, which is like, too, I mean, a mime is the scariest thing. I mean, is there anything scarier than a clown or a mime? And sort uh, of like an erotic layer on top of that, 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 that must be like pretty intense for some yeah, people. Yeah. I really enjoyed doing that to people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, okay. Well, I mean, a lot of what you talk about from the, from the sex work is what men really want and what they would come to you for. And there's, there's a discrepancy between like just wanting some to get off and wanting emotional connection or just like skin to skin contact. I mean, you've talked a lot about that, but I mean, maybe, maybe we could start by talking about like, what do you think people don't understand about male sexuality? Let's just say. Um, wait, I still have a ping for the last question, which was like the transition from sex to polls. Oh, sure. Should I answer yeah, that yeah. one or should I answer the male Oh, you're sexuality? so good. You're keeping track of the order that we're asking the questions. Yes. How did you get from one to the next? So so people can know out there. Okay. I don't mind either. I just didn't want to like accidentally imply that I was like ignoring your question. <laughs> no, I'm Sarah I'm ignores ignoring. my questions all the time. Yeah, that's, that's, that's my job. No, I, I don't know. I just, my question is like, why is everybody not doing polls? Like the question is like less... Less like, why am I doing them? And like, why am I the only one doing them? Like, to <laughs> me, clearly, the thing to do if you have a following online is to do polls. Like, that's just yeah. in the same way that like, if you see a beautiful mountain, you go hike it. Or if you like are with a friend, you like make a joke. If you have any following, you do polls. This is just a thing. And I'm just in constant confusion why no one else is. So that feels to me like more. Anyway, I started developing a following online from horny men. And then I was like, ha ha, I can ask horny men questions. And I did. And it was very exciting. I was like, oh, I should ask them another question. And then it just, it slowly exploded over the course of years. I think I have a spreadsheet. I think I've like, what, 4,000 polls since 2017. So what was the first uh, question you asked in a poll? Do you remember? I don't remember. I think it was something dumb. Like, should I do more Twitter polls or something like that? But it was it why were you doing the polls so you could figure out what would work in terms of like monetizing your your work? Like was this kind of like metrics for Yeah, how 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 for, have they have they applied to your work or or was it was it only ever just satiating a kind of curiosity and that was yeah. it? Or has there yeah. has there 
100% satiating curiosity. There's like a, a couple small applications. Like the thing is, if you ask people, what do you want to see? People are terrible at knowing. People yeah. are just not creative. They're, they just never. So I would occasionally try polls for that. Like, which one would you rather? But it's just very low value. It's a little bit better when you're asking other girls, like if you do a survey, but then we get out of poll land, we get into survey land where you're being a little more careful and you ask other girls, like how much money are you making? What are the habits you have? What do you look like? So you can see what correlates with high income. And that stuff is like useful for me, uh, making higher income. But, but besides that, polls are like, polls are not, <laughs> not like a business strategy for me. They're just purely like an obsession. Oh, yeah. Okay. I get it. All I right. get that. I do poll sometimes. Um, and I'm, I'm also kind of like, why don't other people take advantage of the fact that you have an audience? You can just ask them the question. I don't know if it actually, if I learn too much, I think it's kind of like tea leaves where it's like, it might help you, you know, see a path that you didn't see before. You know, maybe somebody brings up a point that you didn't think about in the replies. Sometimes those are like more interesting actually than whatever the results of the polls actually are, Mm -hmm. or they'll comment on how I phrased it and say that that's problematic for some reason. Yeah. And that helps me learn something. Um, and even even just asking questions. And, you know, sometimes people get irritated from, like, you know, why did you ask this on Twitter when you could have just Googled it? And it's like, but on Twitter, there's just, a, you know, uh, this, this serendipity aspect of it. Like, there could be somebody there that's reading your question who just has like a very particular kind of knowledge about it. And they link something really amazing to you that you wouldn't have found if you had Googled in the first like 10 pages, you know, or maybe not at all. Um, So there's something incredible about just being able to reach out to a lot of people and then ask them something. Megan, have you, do you do, you don't do polls. You don't do Twitter polls. No, because I don't, I feel like I don't have a big enough following. And then the problem with doing poll, it's okay. But like the problem with doing them is then I, um, I feel like, it shows how few people responded to the poll. Like if only a hundred oh. people respond and I'm like, Oh, I look like such a loser, but I also don't have any patience. I, I often just make the polls last like a day or something. What's a good length of time. Like what's the sweet spot for window of time. I mean, ideally infinite, but it depends on if mm. you want like a final thing. If you want to like have like the final thing so you can screenshot and share it, I usually do three days. Yeah. I mean, I've asked him for stupid things like, what should we, what should I name my show? Or like, what should I do? Like, I've asked like sort of extremely uh, specialized questions. Yeah. Be more, I be feel broader. like one of my favorite aspects is like kind like uh, like tiny bits of the human experience. Like, can mm-hmm. you make your ears roar? Oh, yes, I can. Yeah. What? But a lot of people can't. What, what do you mean? What do you mean? Like if you use this muscle and this, is that what you're talking about, right? If you like do something, you can make your ears have like a, like a roaring, like distortion sound. I'm trying to do this. What muscle? never even. Jaw muscle? Is it a muscle in my, it's a, it's a muscle in my neck? Kind of. It feels like it's like right, like here almost like something, but it's like really inside. It's not. It's like if you were going to like clench, like bear down Mm -hmm. in your, on the side of your ears. And I, if I do this correctly, my ears roar. It's a little, just... like a rumble, like a brief, like, Bleh. yeah. It's almost like going into the ocean. You know, that sound when like mm-hmm. a camera goes in the water and it's like, Bleh. it's a little bit like that and briefly. So is this one of these things, like if you can do it, 
you're a lesbian or something like this is we, we had this on a guest on and she wanted you know they had the index finger test mm. which is apparently bogus i can't believe all this i've lived all these years thinking that was like you know a slam I've dunk lived all of, these months yes actually, exactly yeah thinking yeah. uh yeah so is it one of these things like if you can make your ears roar you um you know are like a good driver or you have better some kind of like you have better like space relations or something a good driver i don't know maybe you can like uh hear underwater or something i'm still trying i'm trying to now i'm gonna be just like stretching out my my jaw for the rest of the it's like if you yawn yawn really hard and then your Mm -hmm. ears kind of i hear a little (laughs) click but i don't like it's not it's not like my jaw don't you get it when you yawn no like i i hear something that sounds like my jaw but it's not a roar it's not even an not that noticeable of a noise huh. there's probably so a youtube wow. video on how to do it okay so you can okay. check that out can everyone okay. do it no I, or is I just what it was. obviously not it. you can do a poll to find out oh, how yeah. weird it is that you can't do it this is what i'm Did, saying so, have you done this great. poll i have i just forget the, i forget the results so what is it i bet I, it's I like i want to say it's like 20 percent of people can't do it cannot mm-hmm. do it i want to say yeah i feel like they probably just don't understand the question though i feel like well, yeah, you know what, though? If you can, you're like, oh, yeah, that thing. Right. I because never... Like, wait, um, because you're never trying to do it. You're just yawning, and you, then it happens. Is that what's happening? It's like a mechanical thing? Well, it's not necessarily a yawning thing. I mean, it's... Then, then what is it? How does it happen to, it. to you? How does it... How did you learn you can do this? I don't... It's just... It's one of those things like when you're a little kid yeah. and you're like thinking about like, oh, what is that sensation? Like, I remember when I like was little and I thought I could see like, you know how you can see dust particles if you yes. like let your eyes glaze over a certain way. Yeah. I used to think that I could see molecules. Okay. I was like, oh, I can see molecules because I see these teeny, teeny little things and they're they floating. They kind of look like molecules. They do. So like you learn what a molecule is. And then if you let your eyes kind of like rest or space out you can see them so it's okay. it is it's one so, of those so it's things just like it may be an experience you just didn't have because you didn't have it and that yeah, you, know, know. you just didn't think about it and maybe it's like something mechanically all of us can do or learn how to do it's not like um so i did a a local poll and by that i mean like my family like last time we were hanging out um i asked them about the the can you can you picture can you see things when you um what is it aphantasia yeah um, when i when you when I say, you know, close your eyes and think about an apple, what do you see? Can you see an apple? Do, like, do you see in your mind's eye an apple? Um, and I don't, I have, a, I, I struggle. It kind of, something kind of pops up. Some people don't do that? Really? So, well, so, well I this never is what we found, that some people can can see like, like movies in their mind's eye if they want. And, and they're completely, they're as good as if you were watching a movie. And then others can't picture anything. It's just blank. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Have you done poll uh, about how many people can wink? Have you done a winking poll? I don't. I don't think so. Because I cannot wink. Really? And it's really a bummer. Mm. Yeah, I can't. You would be good. At, you, you would be good at winking. I think You'd I would be. be if like, I could wink, I would be. I would wink. I would over. You would wink all would, the time. Would, You'd be winking. I'm always. Kind on of this feel podcast like I to, yes i kind winking. of feel like i need to tell people like yeah i see you i get you <laughs> i know i know what you're up up, up to i feel like um, winking is something people do like older people do and the like younger people never. i i don't know any like young people who wink for <laughs> oh any God. reason sarah is so going on winking. do you feel 
Ayla, back me up. Do you feel like people are winking at you or like your age or younger? Like it's a grandma thing. Is that what you're saying? I'd say like once a year. I did recently have a cute boy wink at me and that was really nice. Oh, okay. I was like, yeah, I'm totally unexpected. Cause I'm like, did you just fucking wink? And I was like, Did okay. you wink? People still oh do God. this? People, it's like being called, yeah, like uh, being called a bird or whatever. Um, yeah. Okay, so are you still doing sex work or is that uh, in the past? I'm doing OnlyFans now. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, because I think people have been really interested in what you have to say about this, because like I just said, you, you have insights into men and I'm assuming most of your clients are men. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's mostly what you've talked about. So again, like, what are we, what are we getting wrong about men? I mean, because we're in a moment where we're being really hard on them. It's like, uh, you know, if you're a white man, you are fair game for just being a punching bag and it's a a political act. Uh, if you're just say something horrible to a man. So what do you have to say about that? I mean, it depends on the demographic of man you're talking about, but I mean, I think we hold men clearly to an unfair standard, like as one tiny example, you know, short men versus like overweight women. Um, are like kind of similar in the dating marketplace. I think mean, one of them gets significantly different treatment than the other, or like small dicks, right? Like it's uh, considered fair game to body shame in this way. Anyway, I'm saying the double standards for like what constitutes like social dunking on like a man's identity and things that he values, the ways that he's valuable to a woman specifically. Like we do have no sort of immunity to this at all, and know that we've built it up around like this happening to a man. Uh, and I think this is quite unfair, and it sort of manifests a bit in the way that I see people in sex work. Although, again, it depends on the demographic. Like, the kinds of men that I saw when I was escorting, very different from the kinds of men who join OnlyFans. Um, mm. And I think they join it for different reasons and get different needs fulfilled. So, again, it depends. Like, the, in, the in-person clients were, like, much more old. <laughs> much more old. They were much older. Just... They tended to be more married, tended to be more established, and, like, uh. a lot n- nicer or smarter or something. I don't know. I like them more. Um, and then people online tend to be a lot younger and tend to be more of like the porn watching demographic. Very hmm. sweet still, but like there, it's, there's a little bit more dehumanization that goes on, I think. Oh, um, so the older guys. Okay. So are these are guys that would have like come of age after online, yeah. after, after online porn. So, yeah. right. Uh, okay. And they're just less likely, they're just less online. So they're going to come to you as a traditional like well, I mean, it, again, it depends. Like, like, yeah, uh, I, I'm not sure that that actually predicts it strongly because, like, there's different kinds of guys for whom, like, maybe it feels gross to you to pay a girl for sex in real life in a way that it doesn't feel gross to pay for their porn. Like, one of them makes you kind of like a cuck and loser, and the other one is just like everybody pays for porn. So, a lot of it like depends on that sort of thing, or like to what degree do you value an actual in-person interaction versus like how much are you satisfied, or how much are you afraid of the police, or like. How much are you afraid of STDs? Mm. Like all of the, these are like the primary things I think that go into determining whether or not somebody sees a girl online or in person. Um, and like, I would say age is a smaller subset of that. Although you have ones that are associated with age. Like for example, uh, like if you're a married man, I think you're more likely to see an escort um, because like you don't, don't have sex options. Whereas like an in-person guy might be able to get sex options still, or sorry, mm. a single guy. Oh, I see. And so do most of the married men say they're in sexless marriages? Is that yeah. mostly it? Or they're just not getting the sex that they want? They don't, they're not attracted to their wives or something? Uh, I would say majority say that their wife doesn't want to have sex with them. There are some exceptions. There's a minority that's like, I'm not attracted to my wife. Another minority is like, my wife and I have an absolutely fantastic relationship. Great sex. I love her dearly. 
I just want novelty. Uh, that's pretty rare, but I have seen people say that a few times. But the majority of the time, it's like a guy in a relationship, 20, 30 years, his wife stopped having sex with him, usually around the time kids came along. And he's like been trying to put up with it, but he's like really sexually unhappy. And I was like, fine, I'll go see an escort then. Because he doesn't want to fuck up his normal life. He doesn't want to have an affair with someone at work where it could blow up and she's trying to get like a relationship right. with him. He wants something compartmentalized where it's safe and separate from his family. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. That yeah. makes sense. Mm-hmm. And how is this? Like, and so the, the OnlyFans guys are, you said, young and online. Like, mm-hmm. so why Tindering. are they going to, why are they doing OnlyFans rather than just watching porn? Uh, the personal connection. This mm-hmm. It's a, a vast market here. Like, guys want a girl that they have some sort of, like, influence over. I, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I just mean, like, in the same way that it's fun to have be friends with someone because you have influence over them. You can make them laugh. You can tell them a story and they get sad, right? Like, I mean influence in the kind of way where you're connected to someone. Where, like, the yeah. thing that you do has an effect and vice versa. And I think mm-hmm. this is, like, a really important part of what a lot of men want sexually. Uh, this makes it way more satisfying for them. So OnlyFans is great because you get to talk to the girl, you know, find out what she likes, ask her for things. Yeah. Do you like, feel- what do they want to talk to you about? Just a bunch. Of, usually their lives. <laughs> usually they want to tell you about their lives. Yeah. And you're just, you're listening along and you're yeah. like, I'm interested. And that this is interesting to me. Universal for OnlyFans people and escorts. is one of the, the most stable things. Is that like the one you talk to a guy who wants to, I actually have a spreadsheet I recorded the amount that a man talked versus the amount that I listened. Oh, wow. See, Sorry. My, this is the kind of like, thing they'll love in the uh, feminist blogosphere. So this is like an actual mansplaining spreadsheet. Well, it's... But with uh, that minus the agenda. No, I know what you're saying. It's, uh, this is, they need to talk. Well, it's also partially that, like, I'm actively trying to get them to talk. Like, if I were on no, a date... No, I know, I, I know. It's like a therapist. Yeah. It's like going to therapy, which Sarah is against. Sarah's against psychotherapy. Do you, are you more against uh, like seeing an escort or more against seeing a therapist? Mm. Like for me or like no, my for husband the world. or for, for the, the good, world? For the, for for the, the world. world, I think it's better to see an escort um, as to how I'd feel about it if it was like my husband. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what makes me one makes me more angry and another turns me off more. But for myself, I think I'd rather I see an escort. Which. Yeah, there you go. That's the magic of it. And and, and okay. you're gonna yeah, not even so go a therapist into could, a therapist could do more damage, is according to you. Yeah. I think a therapist is just I, I I don't know what it is. I mean, I mean, this is we. I don't want to rehash that conversation. We just had no, we just no. Had one it was a very lengthy where conversation. I went and off off. Uh, I, I became more unhinged than normal. Um, but people agreed with her, so some it wasn't did. totally some off did. the wall. Some did. There so, you go. so do they come? Okay, but is it like a therapy session? Do they come to like a certain place? Do you you have like a a room that you use, or like they come and then like is there? you have like small talk and you talk first, like how does it usually go? And like, wh- how long are the sessions? How, what's the sort of like logistics of this? On average, people book around two, one and a half to two hours with me. Um, and then usually it depends on the amount of time a lot. If it's a longer session, then usually you could sort of meet for food or drinks beforehand, like at the hotel lobby or nearby restaurant. And you get to know each other a little bit. Um, and it sort of simulates a first date. This is Those are my favorite. I like those the most where it's like you could have like met this guy at a bar off Tinder and now you're like meeting up to see if you like each other. Like, and that's does he tell favorite. you like what to wear or do you just wear whatever you want? No, I wear How do you dress? I when I first started, I was like, oh, maybe you can make clothing requests. But like at this point or uh, like later in the trajectory, 
I was, I just want to see guys who like, like the thing that I am already, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and then the guys that made clothing requests were much like they tended to be less fun sexually. Like I kind of felt like a piece of meat a little bit. Most of the guys weren't like that. I would say like 80% of the guys probably were like great people who like really cared, but there's a subset you could tell I'm like, Oh, they're just doing this. Cause I'm an interchangeable body. Like it doesn't even matter what I say or who I am. They just like liked, they wanted to like dress me up like a dog, fuck that. And I enjoyed those way less. Um, it was like still fine, like whatever, I'll take it, but uh, it was not very fun. So anyway, so, so you meet them, the okay. Thing, yeah, they do the date. You, meet, you meet, okay, so you meet them like for drinks as if it's a real date or something. Awesome. Yeah, and occasionally it's shorter, and then in which case you meet like in the hotel room, um, and then you like sit on the hotel bed or chairs and you chat for a little bit before, you know, one of you makes a move and. And you bang. So you don't always make the move. Sometimes, like who? It, what if it's awkward? Like who breaks the ice? Like who? Then yeah, who makes the move? Like what happens? I usually make the first move um, because a lot of the time the guys are nervous a bit or like mm -hmm. they don't know what they're supposed to be doing. They don't want to offend me, which is reasonable. Although I'm difficult to offend. So usually, like we'll be talking, and then I'm usually tracking the time. So usually, you want about like a third. If it's an hour, you want like a third of the way in to start the sex and then you have sex for like a little bit more than one third and then the last bit is cleaning up and saying goodbye and then the, the ratios change a little bit i used to have like a music playlist that i would play and it was perfectly timed for the amount of time i'd like, like <laughs> a half hour. what was on the list Do you, is that like a spotify list that you release that, yeah that I would could, be i could i could go on to an hour how to get in and out of a sexual encounter in an hour i think yeah. a lot of women would appreciate that like 20 minutes. I think that would be like, you know, it's, you know, it's coming. Right. Like, so you know, I heard, you're prepared. I, heard, I knew all the songs. I knew the order. So I knew how far we, so I didn't have to check the clock. Oh my God. You're like a, you're like a jazzercise teacher. You're like a bar <laughs> method teacher. They have, they, you know, they curate their, their playlists for all the different exercises. Okay. Okay. So, and like, did anybody ever scare you? Like, did you ever get, uh, were afraid someone was going to be violent with you or has that ever happened? Yeah, only once. Um, and it was, ironically, a guy who got through screening somehow. Like, normally you screen your clients. Everybody, go, they go through a process for a check. You get references. But and oh. I was working with an assistant to do this. So I just paid her. And there was some miscommunication. I forget exactly what happened. But, like, she thought that I had screened him. And I thought that she had screened him. And we just fell through. And then so I saw him. And if we had checked, after I saw him, I checked the screening info. I'm like, oh, okay. If I had seen the info, I would not have actually accepted this client. Uh, but yeah, no, it was, it was not great. It was, we started at a bar in the hotel, I think it was like an hour and a half and we started for drinks and he sort of like pressured me to drink more, which is like, again, my fault for not putting up boundaries and saying no, but I was like, whatever. Okay. I guess I'll have a second. Like he ordered a drink and then he's like, you want some of it? I don't know. And I kept being like, nah, but he's like, oh, come on, it'll be fun or whatever. It's like, it's like, fine. Again, kind of my fault. I should have said no. And then he waited much longer. I kept saying, okay, we should probably go upstairs. I don't know if you want this thing in the whole detail. I Yes. <laughs> he, it was just a series of small boundary pushes where I'm like, it was starting to get to the time where like, we should go upstairs now if we want to have like a normal amount of sex. And so I kept like gesturing, like, should we go? And he just kept like staying down and being like, no, no, no I'll get another drink or something. Until it's going to get quite close to our ending time. I'm like, this is going to be really fast. And so we go upstairs finally. I think it was like 20 minutes left or something. And then I like, I went to the bathroom and he put the money directly into my purse, which is a big no-no. You're not supposed to open up someone's purse and like do that, uh, especially not with escorting. And there's like a whole thing. You're supposed to leave it on. You, How like do they know this? Is there it. like a, a code of ethics somewhere that is in the public domain? How does somebody know this? Uh, it's usually say it on the website. 
Like if you're booking with a girl, she'll have a, a code of etiquette. Most okay. Of them are the okay. Same. Okay. We all share mostly the same code of etiquette with some deviance, deviances, but like it's very standard. Almost all the scripts will tell you, leave the donation on the counter in a clearly visible place and then excuse yourself to the bathroom. The donation. Yes. That's donation. how it's referred to. For your time. Yes. Oh. Um, so, so anyway, that's another thing. And then we started having sex and then he just got really violent during sex, started like choking me, like slapping me really hard, like biting me really hard and then saying really aggressive, mean things to me. Uh, like, 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 as he was choking me, <laughs> like, you like, go oh. for Anyway, it was really scary. And I was like, kind of drunk at this point. And, um, so my cameras. And then I, I remember thinking, like, I, I'm afraid this guy might, in fact, kill me because he's like escalating and like causing me quite a bit of pain. And then I was like, figuring out, like, if I scream, will people hear me? Like, how do I get out of this? Like, it was like weirdly calm. I was actually mostly chilled. It felt like a very calculated, like, am I gonna die? Um, but I did not die. I was very careful to like act like I liked it because I was afraid if I started resisting or struggling that he would get more violent. Mm -hmm. um, which again is a controversial opinion. I like tweeted a question like in this hypothetical scenario, uh, should she have resisted or not? And people were but very that's such a that. common reaction. I, that's a self preservation yeah. method. I think that makes perfect yeah. sense. Yeah, that's not but that's not yeah. something that that men understand intuitively. Even when you explain it to mm. them, you'll be like, but but they'll say, but then how would I how would I have known that this was not okay? Um, unless you resist but, in some way or you say no. Did um, you say no? Sometimes they think saying no is part of the game though. Yeah, I didn't say no. I was really careful not to give any indication I didn't like it because I was really afraid. Yeah. Uh, which, again, it's yeah. not quite fair. I'm not letting him know I don't like it. But also, he shouldn't have started fucking choking and hitting me really hard. He was, it was like really, I was like trying, it was not good. Uh, uh. Anyway, and then he would just pushed me way over time. Like I couldn't get out of it. And then I like left. I acted nice the entire way because another part of it, you, you don't want guys to know that you didn't like it. That way you can warn other women. Like you, mm -hmm. you want him to use you as a reference. So other girls will come to you and then you can be like, actually, no. So I, I don't know. I acted nice the whole time. And, but he ended up using me as reference, but fate. Like he used an email that looked like mine uh, and like pretended it was mine. And then when a girl was like, oh, can you give me references? He gave me like my, the fake email that wasn't me that he controlled. And so uh, luckily a girl wow. went and checked because you're supposed to check the original website every time somebody gives you reference to make sure the email's matched. And luckily, this is how I found out that he was doing this. Anyway, it's fucking shitty guy. Don't, I do not write if. Don't, if you're ever escorting, avoid him. Yeah, so that's a, that, there's a lot. I mean, I guess I didn't think about it, but now that I'm thinking about it, there must be a, like, you have to do a lot of screening and security. Yeah, like, what is the screening process? I mean, how, how can you tell, like, the details of it? Yeah, yeah other than getting references from other girls. What yeah, else? I, mean, I, can, I mean, anybody who books an escort is going to know this. It's like, you. there's two things you want to make sure if you're an escort is that the guy is not a cop and going to arrest you and that he's not... Um, going to like hurt you basically mm -hmm. and so you check for like proof of education or proof of employment <laughs> education proof of employment to some degree so like you want like a photo of his badge with his face on it where it verifies that he works somewhere and then you can call that place to verify that he works there that sort of thing like call his place of employment yeah some girls do that um pretending to be just something obviously not yeah, you're just like, oh, I'm just going to verify that, you know, I'm just checking out a reference, like, can I verify he's employed or something? Um, or you or you look him up online to verify that, like, sometimes he's listed. Uh, but usually the thing most people do is just you ask two other girls for reference. They should research those girls that he gives and make sure that they're, like, real escorts. And there's, like, ways to kind of check that. Um, but then usually they'll be like, yep, I saw him. He was fine. All good. Go for it. And that's great. 
And you have an assistant who does this for you. Yeah. And is this common? Like escorts would have an assistant to handle the kind of it's like not uncommon it's maybe like 20 percent if you're I mean, it depends on your range of income if you're high enough yeah if you're charging enough rates then yeah assistance just makes sense mm-hmm. can we ask how much you were charging uh well i i started around 1200 or eight i i i mostly charged around 1200 an hour and then after a while I raised it to 1400 and that's the highest that's the highest it, it got well, 1400 no I, I mean cap. more recently because like i kind of switched to doing it as a hobby as opposed to income because uh, i like having casual sex with people and when they pay you it like alleviates a lot of my anxiety around it so there's i still kind of like for fun and that's three thousand an hour okay okay what 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 All anxiety right. do you have around uh that is alleviated by them paying you uh like Am I making a dumb decision? So I am post-rationalizing what I think is going on. So this is a story. It might not be true. But there's a sense of like, if I'm like, if there's like a guy in my circles and I'm banging him or I'm going to be like, oh, what will people think of me banging this guy? Because like, as a woman, your worth is determined by the quality of a guy you can get, kind of. Like if you're banging like a homeless man on the street, it's kind of embarrassing. Um, Even if I don't consciously endorse Some homeless guys are hot though. Let's face it. Yeah, they are. Aren't they? I, I have banged a few homeless guys. Yeah, but- um, All right, we're going to come back to that. <laughs> but um, but but there's something about like being paid where it like alleviates that. Instead of me doing this thing of like, is this worth it? Like, um, is, am I making a good decision by doing this? Like, am I, is this kind of just embarrassing for me? Like, does this guy feel like he's winning by like catching me? There's a lot of that. There's a lot of like guys who are going to feel like it's a status symbol to bang me. Mm. And I... And like, am I, is it going to rumor going to get out? And it's going to be like, oh, that guy banged Ayla, like, LOL, Ayla, she got clowned. And again, I'm not saying this is rational. This is like, but this but is But if just you're getting thing. paid for it, it's it's work. No, I get it. I totally yeah, get it. It's like it, a work, but yeah, no, it's like a work thing. It's like, I can yeah. justify uh, like going out to, the, I mean, this would be my version. Like I could justify going out to this movie or something because I'm going to write about it. Like, and I feel much better about myself. Yeah. I, I feel less guilty for doing like, quote unquote, fun things. If I can, if I can tell myself it's work related. Exactly. Yeah. Responsible deniability. No, would that's you, true. W- would you, would you accept your friends as clients? Like people you knew well? And they're like, hey, I've let me just pay you. Done this before. Uh, at one point, somebody in my communities tried to hire me and I had like kind of a freak out reaction. Uh, but I think I would probably be fine with it now. I think I've like gotten over it. In your poly but, community, you mean? The, like the rationalist community. Oh, you mean like uh, the heterodox podcast space? No, Ayla is in a Ayla is in the <laughs> the rationalist space, which is different kind of. Oh, what's um, that? Okay. Uh, how would you describe that? I I I've been uh, uh like lurking in the rationalist world since I was like a teenager, but no, they're going to ask, they're going to ask to pay you for sex. Soon, yeah, Sarah. No, that, that, so these are, <laughs> these are aspy people. I mean, that's how to describe them. They're like, like who they are, I guess, but the community is oriented around overcoming your own like mental biases in various ways. So they think about, they, they, they think about thinking, I guess, you know? Yeah. Um, like how do you improve thinking? Like if you actually like how, wait, how do we actually think better? I think a lot of people sort of are doing things that kind of look like they're trying to think better, but it's not an explicit study devoted. How do you improve the quality of that? So it's good. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a whole community oriented around it there. Um, and they're in kind of, I mean, there, there's little groups of them all over 
They actually do real life meetups as well, but the Bay Area has a lot of them. Yeah. Yeah. So. Okay. Well, speaking of the Bay Area, having a lot of things, homeless people. So you're, you're saying that you have, you have had sex with a couple of homeless people. Was, was that a joke? That was a joke. No, that was a segue. Okay. That was a segue. <laughs> that was an A plus segue. Okay. okay. Well, I think I've technically only had sex with one homeless person. And I don't, I, he was like a fine homeless person. He was like fashionably homeless. Okay. Uh, so he yeah. was like homeless by choice. But mm. I have been friends with like a lot of normal homeless people. Like for a while, my primary friend group was the group of homeless people that lived outside my house. And that was great. But I didn't actually bang those people. Mm. Okay. So, but like, what was the situation? Like, like he approached you on the street or did you go back to his, did he live in a tent or like, what was his setup? He's kind of like my sister. My sister is like kind of charismatic homeless right now. Uh, people really like her and then she just stays on their couches um and then bounces around okay so that this is not a raving homeless person not a street like okay all right like pseudo homeless Uh, i see so homeless adjacent it's kind of okay okay yeah um all right so okay so you have the screening process you're making fourteen hundred dollars an hour Um, so did they ever book you for like the weekend? Because I know there's a thing like where girls can be on a retainer. Like, is it like there's, they take them on a vacation or even like they have an exclusive arrangement with somebody. How does, how does that work? Yeah. I never caught a lot of that. I would occasionally get like overnights, but, um, rarely weekends, which is like maybe for the, I I don't like, I get very socially exhausted quickly. So I price those very high, which is probably why I think like 50 K for a weekend or something. Yeah. Mm. Wow. Uh, so yeah, but occasionally it would be overnight. So. so did they ever take you like, like a pretty woman thing where you would have to like socialize and, you know, go to a dinner? Did anybody ever like want you to just do something that doesn't involve sex at all, that just like go to a party with you or something or uh, have, have you on his arm? About it, but I never actually went through this. So one guy wanted to like bring me to impress all of his friends, but it never ended up, he got sick. So he couldn't do that. <laughs> but yeah, I was a little surprised. I think I, I gave off a, like, not hostile vibes, but like, I'm not a warm, friendly mother vibe thing. Uh, like, I don't like talking to people. I have my assistant handle communication with them. The only time I talk to them is in person. And this is like, this kind of hurt my camming career as well. There's different like types of ways that people cam. And if you are very, if you develop a relationship with the people that pay you, like you text them offline, you send them selfies, like sort of do this independent thing where I'm like, this is kind of like not strictly based on payment. I independently like you. Then you can see that's the way to really get your earnings skyrocket because then you get them basically as like a mini sugar daddy in a sense. Mm. Um, but that requires a sort of like natural, like cultivation, warmth, a little bit of line blurring. And I'm terrible at this. I'm like, either I'm on or I'm off and I'm not going to like engage with you if I'm not like on the clock. Uh, which is just does not work for developing sugar daddies at all. Yeah, it's a lot of work. I mean, mm. just like the billing, I would think the invoicing, like keeping the, the hours straight in your head. I'm serious. It'd be very yeah. confusing. Like, can you use like QuickBooks or I don't know. <laughs> like okay. track their donations. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Sorry, Sarah, I- interrupt me. I have so yeah, many yeah. questions. Yeah, no, there's going. too many. There's there's. There's, we could go on for a long time about, I think, the economics of sex work. But I guess I'm, I'm interested in whether what you think this effect, this, um, like, I guess, OnlyFans, like, or this like, sort of new wave of kind of personalized, but not in-person um, 
sex work uh, and what effect this has on, you know, our culture, our broader culture? Or do you think, you know, it 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 really doesn't? It's sort of something that happens on the periphery and doesn't have much to do with anything. I'm not, it's, it's really hard to know. It's so hard. But like my guess is that it's uh, it's like patching a wound that's been there for a long time. Mm. Like my guess is this is less the thing that's changing the culture and more like like finally a way that like we are seeing like a visibility of a symptom that is, has already been there. There's mm. more mm. the way I tend to look at it. Like mm-hmm. the demand for a personalized sex uh, content, whatever connection. Um, was clearly just like, wait, it was just lying in wait. It was just sitting there waiting to be tapped into. Otherwise, mm-hmm. we would have seen a much slower rise of OnlyFans. We would have seen like um, people uh, very slowly convincing their friends to get on it or something mm-hmm. um, as, as like gradually culture drops in. But instead, we just saw meteoric rise. It existed and people were just like, boom, we're in it now. And it yeah. became like vastly the most successful thing, which makes yeah. me think that this is not a thing that's like, I mean, it might be obviously ripple effects, right? Like, you know, now it's like collectively known a woman can go to OnlyFans to make money in a way this was not oh, aware of before. It's yeah. like changed the internet landscape. Like oh, so many internet forums and social things have that radically changed their rules after OnlyFans came because people started using that. That's an, it's, it's kind of a side topic, but uh, OnlyFans is also interesting in that they were one of the first platforms to uh, use their members as their marketers. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know how much OnlyFans ads you've seen, but very few. But if you watch mm-hmm. porn... There's a ton of ads for live cam sites like Red, like Live Jasmine or um, like My Free Cams or something. Mm. And with My Free Cams, you sign up. You don't do any advertising. All you do is make an account on the website. And the website hands you volume, the traffic co- consumers. They're they're bringing it in. They're paying those ads. Um, and so it's very it's like like kind of stressful, but not. You just like given put in front of an audience. Whereas OnlyFans, OnlyFans just didn't do that. OnlyFans doesn't have a directory on it, or it does, but it's like so shitty. It's like the, made out of twenty people or something. So if you sign up to OnlyFans and you want subscribers, you have to go and you have to advertise your OnlyFans. I think this is partially why they grew so fast. Um, but it also has the effect of like changing the landscape. If you like mm. give everybody an incentive to advertise OnlyFans, then all the websites have to shift in order to handle that. Mm. But how does this map onto these statistics about people just having less and less sex? I mean, we've heard about this. It's like, I mean, a third of men, 18 to 24, reported having no sex in the in the last year. And that was even before the pandemic. I mean, I'm sure you're familiar with this data. Like, is there people are not having actual sex? So they're doing things like looking at OnlyFans. Like <laughs> there has to be something a, a new thing is is in the air, it seems like. I haven't done a research deep dive here, but uh, I I saw somebody saying that there's been like, the, they checked this year's update and it appears that sex rates are going back up quite a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, we should probably double check. I'm just saying this from memory. I could be wrong. So don't take my retort. But I remember yeah. reading it and being like, oh, okay. Like the sex, you know, the sexless trend is, uh, was like kind of a blip. That's the conclusion I drew mm-hmm. from it. But mm-hmm. I'm happy to update if I'm wrong. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Uh, my guess is that it's like most likely OnlyFans is not the cause of this like OnlyFans got really popular during COVID, and you said the sexless trend started before COVID. Yeah, um, like guess this is probably due to like you know isolation, like cultural isolation. Yeah, and also due to the fact we're not drinking as much. People are drinking way less alcohol, and that is reducing 
they're not, you mean they're not going out and meeting. Well, they're not actually meeting people in person. You have to be in a physical space with somebody to have sex with them. So yeah, I mean, these things are probably intercorrelated. Like you go to right. a bar, you drink at the bar and stuff. But also I think that there's like a lot more, I mean, suspicion is that a lot of early, like young sex occurs mostly when drunk or yes. some level of right. And it's oh, kind no, of required. Yeah. Like when I would have sex, all my casual sex, I had to be drunk to do it. Otherwise it was just like, for a while. I can have sex sober now, but like it was so new and novel and intense. Like I had to be intoxicated in order to get myself to go through with it. And I didn't regret it. It was fine. I mean, besides the health effects of alcohol. And so, but we're also seeing this cultural shift where if you have sex with someone who's intoxicated, it's violating their consent. You're a rapist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so I think this is by contributing. Yeah. So, I mean, what do you think about the whole Me Too movement? I mean, that are men coming to escorts because it's just a, it's just a more straightforward transaction than having to take the risk of like hitting on somebody in a bar or on a, co- or asking out a coworker. <laughs> I actually would be surprised if this were the case. Um, my guess is that the Me Too movement had very little to do with like, I think men talk a game like, oh, you know, I can't hit on anybody. She's going to yell at me. But I think like in practice, this does not actually make them go to escorts. Um, I would be surprised if it had a significant effect. I think like people do go to escorts when they want a sure thing, but usually people already know the kinds of dynamics they have with women and stuff. Mm. Do you see female clients? Uh, Only in conjunction with men. Okay. So like like... occasionally I have like a woman like hire me for her husband's birthday because she wants to gift him a threesome. Oh, okay. Okay. And there's never been, there's there, I mean, even like lesbians like won't hire you. Uh, I've never had lesbians reach out. Lesbians don't. They don't really go to an escort. They don't. They just. they would just like want to come over and like watch TV, you know, (laughs) that would be, you know, just the, uh, you have to reenact the like delicious lesbian bed death scene. (laughs) I mean, I'm not, I'm saying this as a positive thing. This is not an insult. So, uh, so, I mean, like how, how concerned are you, Ayla, with like the quote unquote masculinity crisis? Do you worry about men? Like, do you think that they're really suffering as much as like people like us like to say, or are some of the, uh, the me too types, right. That they should just man up without being men. (laughs) I think there's like an interesting, like almost paradox here. Like if you tell somebody that they should be suffering, they tend to suffer more that you can see this with like the victim mentality of like, Oh God, are you okay? Like this is not the microaggressions. And then you start becoming really sensitized to that. And there's a way where if you desensitize people that are treated like no big deal, they actively experience less suffering. And there's a weird thing where I think in a way men are actually experiencing less suffering because society is telling them they shouldn't be experiencing suffering. Mm-hmm. Like they in fact are desensitized to it. Mm-hmm. But that is not also to say that men are in fact putting up with more shit because people are not sensitive, sensitive. Like they're not like trying to care for men. So simultaneously, like men's like, for example, the small dick thing, it's okay to make fun of small dicks. Uh, and simultaneously, um, like, I think men are actually probably doing better psychologically. Like, uh, <laughs> one funny thing. So my kink survey, which has like probably 600,000 responses now, I asked people, what's your relationship attachment style? You know, like the secure avoidant thing. And men overwhelmingly picked secure and women mostly picked uh, anxious. Like huh. the, like women's secure rating was like very low, but men were like, I'm fine, whatever. Men have way lower ratings of anxiety and mental health issues. Um, right yeah yeah but again i agree that like society's like treating men like fucking shit we don't care about them at all so it's like confusing i i think we should get artificial wombs i think this would fix a lot of it 
Really? Oh, yeah. This is right up Sarah's alley. You mean like the Shulamith Firestone idea? The you what? know, but oh, Shulamith Firestone was a very ah, both of you. I've had I to, know her. I've had to Shulamith explain. You know, yeah. No, so I know she her. was a she was a whacked out um, radical feminist in the in like the seventies, and she had a whole idea that the only way women could be free was to like take gestation and lactation off the plate, so that there should be artificial wombs and like robots and. I think she said giving birth was like shitting a pumpkin. I yeah, so she the, this the, yeah this was uh, kind of the proto. She's a radical feminist, but like also a proto like trans, almost a transhumanist. She was mentally ill. I mean, I she think was she, deeply she, mentally. She, 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 was. she died uh, like you know she was like in her apartment eaten by her own dog kind of thing. I think. Wow. Yeah, there was some sad. There was some sad <laughs> death. Like I don't know was what it, it was. No, it was <laughs> not, no dog. She didn't have a dog. No, not she, that. But no, yeah. it, it, it was something like that. Like she had she had died. <laughs> Um, in it, but but it seemed she's insane, but also brilliant. You know, when you read when you read her work, it's like it's it's clear that this is a very bright person. This is also kind of very radical person, rad- radical personality, and kind of crazy. But it, it's interesting that the way that she was thinking about our bodies and about um, you know our relationship to sex is kind of what's developed in the culture now. Anyway, I'm kind of disgusted by the idea of artificial wombs. Um, because, well, 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 because I think it would, it would, there's ethical concerns that I have of what that means in terms of experimenting on children. Like, because we, in order, in order to get the technology to work, you have to do a lot of, you know, unethical testing. You're going to have to do it. You're going to have to mess up a lot. And I think that that's not, I just have many, many, many ethical qualms. And that's just where they're beginning. Like from the, from the experimental stage, I have ethical qualms and then. I think it continues down the road that there's a lot of problems with it, but you, you feel like we'll be free. We'll be free of something. Yeah. I, I, yeah. You know, make the case. Ayla. Yeah. Make the case. Uh, well, to be, I think like we're AI is probably going to revolutionize everything and either we're all going to be dead or it's going to be like a glorious transhumanist future. And in that case, we can probably do the ethical womb thing ethically or sorry, the artificial womb thing ethically, but the ethics of it, like are kind of aside, like maybe we shouldn't for other reasons, but I still think like if we did, this is sort of the thing required for, like, my galaxy brain theory here is that, like, historically, women were probably not actually oppressed, or if they were, that this was, like, a meaningful oppression, because men were dying in wars. If you're a guy, you just, yes. like, run off and you get killed. That's what I always say. And, women like, die birth. in childbirth and men died in wars. Right. So, in a way that, like, the sac- the gender sacrifice in, like, pre-scare, like, when we had a lot more scarcity, was a lot more even. Like, oh, I'm like, okay to be, you know, locked away at home taking care of children because at least I'm not out there, you know, like in the on the front lines. Um, yeah. At least when the neighboring tribe raids me, I'm not the one that's going to be killed. I'm going to be used as a wife, you know, to make more children. Like my husband's going to be killed. So like, it, I don't know. It's sort of like a value prop where you're sort of like, all right, we have balanced gender roles, obviously not across the board, but to some degree. And then what did we do? We went and got rid of war. Uh, yeah. We got rid of bears and raiding tribes and the things that men are good for. Uh, but we did not get rid of child rearing or childbirth. So like one of our sacrifices is gone and the other hasn't. And I think this is what caused feminism. Like we got to the point where we kind of collectively looked around and went like, wait a fucking second. Like what men, women kind of have a shitty end of the deal right now. Um, hmm. And then we went and forgot what men used to do, like why that even used to be the case but that's besides the point so anyway my theory is like if we want us to balance it you have to like we removed men's burden now we have to remove women's if we want there to be like actual equality is it a is it a burden though 
like, I mean, isn't it the case that in so many ways, you know, men have been um, robbed of a purpose, right? I mean, I'm not saying war is good. I'm saying men, men don't have a duty, like men don't have a role set out for them. And, you know, as a consequence, we can see, and I think it's clear that it's a, I mean, some may doubt that it is a consequence, related consequence. I think it is that we see a lot of young men who are sort of floating around and they're unsure of themselves and they're unsure of what to do. And they're uh, not feeling engaged in the world um, because there's no clear place for them. Um, you know, do, do you think that that maybe that that these sort of things that bring us down uh, limit our choices, I guess, in in one way or another, are also the kind of things that give us, you know, a sense of identity and purpose. Yeah, I think they can be. Like a lot of people, like deliberately choose more restrictive lives because of this. Like the Amish go out and they have their thing where they explore the world, and then a lot of them decide to come back and spend their life there. Like, yeah, I think this is clearly good. But also, uh, my suspicion is that a lot of the lack of purposelessness about men is like downstream ripple effects from the fact that women have the burden like like in having the burden there's like a lot more power that women have like the victimhood thing and it's like who are men if they cannot provide for women like who what role is men if women don't need them right Mm -hmm. Uh, like men need women women don't need men sort of asymmetry and so i'm like my guess is if you balance at least we would see some sort of thing there i'm not saying we wouldn't have other problems what if we saw balanced misery? You know, like what if we saw like the kind of purposelessness that men feel because women took their role is then something that more more women feel because now AI has taken their role. Or they can't, if their purpose is to have children, if they can't find men to have children with then they can't have children. So they also feel purposeless. I mean, this is like a know. self-fulfilling prophecy, right? I'm not sure with them. I'm not sure what you mean by that. Well, so like if the perp- if women's purpose is to have, if, if you get a sense of purpose and meaning from that, uh-huh. and that's something that women can now do without men. It used to be that you couldn't do that. Well, with the, unless womb, you, with the womb, artificial womb thing, I don't think it, I think you still need a sperm. It's not necessarily the womb like, thing. Yeah, oh, okay. But you like, would you still don't have need to, sperm, I guess. Um, and then it, it, the, the womb itself, like that right. it, it is happening somewhere else. So it's your body. Okay, I guess no it depends on how, on how, on how hypothetical our, our you, terms are. You can still, you do it without a man, you know, like as a woman, I, I, do you mean just that, that you can be a single mom more, yeah, I'm not it, talking it's more about, available yeah. to you because yeah. it, you're not harming your own body, I guess. Yeah. Like women happen. don't need men anymore. Like when women were given eco- economic agency and allowed to have jobs and, have credit cards and own their homes, they did, they weren't reliant on men anymore. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so they don't even need a man to have a child. I mean, obviously like physically, literally they do, but oh, yeah. they don't, yeah. they don't, there's no, you know, there's no, men don't have a purpose. They're not needed the way they used to be. And that would of course cause a huge crisis. Right. Right. So wouldn't that, wouldn't an artificial womb do that for women? Like men can now have children without a woman, without a, you know, but, with a, with a woman but that's being not what gives them purpose. I don't think it's analogous necessarily. Sorry, Ayla, sorry. What do you think? What, what do you mean what doesn't give women purpose? Like, No, I um, don't think men, I don't think that like, if a man was able to commission an artificial womb in order to have children, I don't, I don't think they would because I don't think that's what gives them like a sense of, you know, being necessary. Like I think a, going to war, even though they don't want to do that and nobody really wants to do that, I think going to war gives them a, feeling of, you know, purpose and duty as a man. 
I don't, I mean, I don't, I think it's just the, the fact that a, a, I think a man wants to feel like a provider, you know, and it's less of like, I want to combat, you know, because it's not as if we were yeah. doing that. It's not as if all of our ancestors right. were in he combat to... all the time. Like, right. many of them were just being, you know, beasts of burden, honestly, you know, in one way or another. Um, but I think you just want, you need to feel needed. I think that's yes. what, that, that's what the need is. The need is to feel needed. But the more, I mean, there's something about this glorious transhuman humanist future that to me seems like it could also be like a hellscape to the extent that we just free ourselves up from all these, you know, bur- burdens. And it's easy to see how they're burdens, but I think it's harder to see how they're, they also help us feel significant in a way that's like, you know, spiritually important. Yeah, we're oh, you know. disconnecting <laughs> ourselves from nature. We're disconnecting ourselves from our natural existence. And that's- yeah. Our like, natural existence historically has not been great. Like most of human history is filled with atrocity. And yeah. to some extent, like I could see the argument like, oh, if we remove this, you know, this thing that gives us meaning historically, like it's going to be bad. We could reply that to a lot of things historically that people then did remove uh, but we decided that it was good in hindsight. It kind of reminds me a little bit, but I think it's also kind of true, though. Like, uh, a lot of people say that we shouldn't cure death because, you know, dying gives your life meaning. Like, oh, mm. you know that it's limited. And I think that, like, this is true, but also not a good argument. Like, mm. it is true that probably there's some kind of meaning that's going to be lost by living forever, but it feels more important to have greater optionality. Like, there's a lot of meaning that was present in my, like, really regressive, uh, restrictive upbringing, uh, that is no now no longer present because you require the restriction to do that. And I would like people to be able to choose that restricted life, but I do not want people to have that as their only option. That seems really bad. And so mm-hmm. like I'm down, like there are some like downstream effects that aren't great from like having more freedom. Mm-hmm. Uh, like it's harder to develop a core community, for example, or like I had to personally reconstruct the way that I made like existential meaning out of scratch. And that was really hard and painful for a long time. And for a while I didn't have a lot of meaning. But ultimately, it was worth it because, like, I was able to find other ways of doing this. Mm. Um, and I'm not saying that, like, this on a society scale is not going to have drawbacks, but rather that, like, probably long term, we're going to figure out how to adjust for those drawbacks and also that it's worth it. No. Oh, okay. Well, I, I think the other factor that it is important to maybe consider is that, you know, I feel I don't need such things to feel like meaning you know I think if I wasn't a mother it wouldn't I I still had a meaningful life before and I I would have been robbed of something important like something that you know I value quite a bit but it wouldn't I wasn't I wouldn't spiral into depression like I'm not one of those women but I um I think that for many people that's not the case you know like there there are things that are true for a small minority of us and I think the three of us here and this is part and parcel of like what's weird about like being a public figure, because by the time you get to this point, like by the time you get to a point where you're the kind of person people want to listen to you and you're, you're, you have a camera in front of your face and you're talking and you're, you're, you're giving out all your hot takes and people are actually listening. You're already kind of a, you know, you're kind of a special person. You're an outlier. Yeah. You're, you're not representative of the, of the norm. Yeah, right. And so, so there's something about this where, I mean, who knows, right. And um, it's hard to not 
talk down to what to, to humanity and say, no, I I, I don't need this. But other people, the sheep, they they need um, restrictions to feel. Like, I think we can change, like, hmm. if we're at the point where we have the tech to have artificial wombs and, like, po- full post-scarcity or automated child rearing in a way that's healthy, if we have the tech to do that, we also have the tech most likely to change our own brains. You feel depressed, we're probably going to have, like, way better, uh, like, understanding of what makes that. We're going to know what actually we have to do in order to create meaning in people's lives. Hmm. Like, my guess is, like, as this pain point increases and, and our tech increases, we're going to be able to resolve this somehow genetic engineering we just no longer have children that experience depression you know stuff like this yeah yeah Hmm. Yeah. What would the artificial womb thing look like to you like do you um, do you envision a scenario like would you be interested in having a child that was gestated in an artificial womb yeah that would be really cool I would like to have the hormones though the pregnancy hormones those seem beneficial oh. but if, we, if I could just like I don't know somehow inject those to make it happen okay. but yeah the I, I don't have like a good sense of artificial womb technology. I assume it's like a really long way off. And what would automated child rearing look like? So like there wouldn't even be parents of these children. Well, let me just imagine like the infinite babysitter. Like you're just exhausted and you need to take a nap. And it's just like, there's an infinite babysitter. Like they're down to, you know, feed your child and like soothe it. Uh, that seems pretty cool. And with AI, assuming it doesn't all kill us, like it seems likely that we'll be able to just make that. Hmm. Hmm. How how far out are we from that? Because you're 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 quite young, so maybe you can 10, look forward years? to that. Twenty years. Okay. Wow. Like Ten or twenty. Yeah. Well, so we know you have to go in a few minutes, but I, I wanted to ask you about something that came up in your conversation with Lex Friedman the other day, or whenever that was recently. Um, you said that most men ultimately want vanilla sex. I think you used mm-hmm. the word vanilla. And I thought that was really interesting because it seems to contradict so much of what we see in the culture, which is so obsessed with kink and the sex positivity has really embraced this like idea that, you know, you shouldn't be boring. You shouldn't be vanilla. All the the dating apps have ad campaigns now that emphasize like your polycule or your like you know, you're a furry. I think Tinder literally had some kind of subway ad campaign that like it was furries, like meet your perfect furry match. So like, how do you kind of square those two threads? Like, I, I think you're probably right that at the end of the day, people just want to have like normal, a normal, like intimate kind of encounter. Um, but at the same time, the culture is just like telling us to just like turn up the volume constantly. No, advertising isn't what people want. It's what people want to see themselves as. <laughs> yes. And not that you are a furry, but that you are the kind of person who's accepting of furries. Mm. Like, this is why, like, LGBT stuff is, like, really overinflated in advertising. Like, if you're doing, if you look at ads for, like, OkCupid, what, like, 50% of their ads show LGBTQ? And it's not, like, this has, does not mean that most people are that. It just means that, oh, I'm allying myself myself with like the kind of person I want to be the kind of person that is like okay being on a dating site where there's a lot of gay people mm. that's all it means and mm-hmm. I think that's all that the king thing means and the poly and the it's like oh I want to be the, the thing that's like a cool sex accepting person even if you personally are not that kinky I really do not see it as uh like any sort of deep indication sexuality is extremely hard to change hence why all those uh, gay conversion camps don't work like but do you think that like young kids are getting the message that they need to have like kinky weird sex in order to not be a basic like 
I mean, why is choking got introduced because it was in porn and then and now like your average 16 year old thinks that that's what they're supposed to like? Well, they may actually be supposed to like that. Uh, it depends. I just did. Did you see my recent survey on how porn influences? I, did, I just sort of I asked how much do you watch porn? And then I asked men to predict what they think women would like in bed. And then I asked women, what would you actually like in bed? With like the exact same wording, exact same scenario, just like the, the gender and perspective change. Um, and found that men who watch porn actually more accurately predicted what women liked in bed. But mm. again, it depends on what you mean. But like one of the biggest caps was choking, actually, light choking. Women were much more likely to say that they wanted this to happen in bed. And like men just drastically underestimated this. But they were slightly more accurate if they watched more porn. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, women are generally are way kinkier than men when it comes to like uh, dominance and submission stuff. Women like much more want to be fucked up in bed than men want to fuck them up. Uh, so when we're like, yeah, was porn teaching that. people yeah. to that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah. and there's another thing where it's like, like I think uh, sexual kinks are basically function the same way as sexual orientations. So if you're asking a question about a kink, you should ask it about like if kids are being shown like being gay is normalized, is that going to make them more gay? And if you think that it might, then yes, I would be concerned about kinks. But like my intuition here is that it probably isn't. Like mm. either you're straight or gay. And like maybe this will impact like maybe you'll be more likely to present gay or like be more likely to be friends with people who are gay or something. I don't know. But like it's very hard to change basic personality, like basic sex traits. Mm. I think this is where I disagree with with you. And I, I don't know if we've talked about we, I think we've talked about this before um, mm. when you first when you first brought it up, because I think that. I mean, porn obviously has like it has had an effect on our culture in terms of what people even consider to be like rough sex. You know, like if you pulled people 30 years ago, 40 years ago, what they thought rough sex was um, and what they think it's now. Like, I mean, clearly that has changed a little bit. And I'm not saying that this means that women don't generally, you know, uh, like submission fantasies or something. It's just that the degree to which you need, you know, like, like we're just heightening up, uh, turning up the volume basically on all, on all ends because you need to, to be able to get off the next time. Like it's the other constant that's true of sexuality is that we get bored with whatever we see if we see it too, too often and we need some kind of novelty. And sometimes that novelty is just like leaning in a little bit more into whatever you're already into. So you go from somebody who enjoys light spanking to somebody who like needs a dungeon, you know, I mean, I'm not, (laughs) I don't think that this happens to the average person all the time, but you know, even just like, if you go to a porn site now, it's like, I remember the first time I ever, I, I accidentally, when I was a kid, I went on a porn site, somebody just some boy, was like, hey, Sarah, look this up. This like, go to this website, go to this address, and it was just some random web. Like, I don't even know. But it was like a normal looking address, and I went to it, and it was a porn site. It was like, oh, it was very, very scary um, as like a young girl to see to see all of that. But I remember what I saw, and it was very, very. It was what would be considered now to be super, super, like not even porn. You know, not even yeah. like like sensuality. Really, like it's something that anybody would be. Anyone would be doing um, almost. Um, so I, I, I don't know, but um, I guess, uh, so we have like, do we have time for like one more question maybe? Yeah. Or, yeah, or we, can... Yeah, we can. Okay. Well, I think sure. what I think really fascinates me about, you know, the way that um, you talk about things that you're, you're very good at decoupling. And I noticed that throughout, you know, 
your, your Twitter persona when you're tweeting. Um, and a lot of people get mad because of this kind of sensitive topics that you talk, you know, and, and the kind of moral questions that you probe into um, and make people uncomfortable a little bit. Um, how much is, uh, how does this relate to, you know, your work? Um, do you think that if you didn't have this kind of personality, you would have a harder time uh, in sex work? Would you, do you think you would be in it at all? Um, like, did, or does this have like no effect? My guess is it's slightly correlated, but not strongly. Mm-hmm. Like, I think what's more important to my sex work is some sort of like unusual relationship to disgust. Like, I don't know mm. if this actually was formative, but I remember very distinctly being quite young and being like disgusted at something like, like, oh, it's dirty or whatever. I shouldn't put that in my mouth. And then I went, I was like, wait a second. If I actually put it in my mouth, like, what is going to happen? And I'm like, it's just nothing. Like nothing's going to happen. Like I'm not, I, do I think I'm going to get sick? I was like, no. I was like, oh, wait. So I, I, my disgust response is not related to actual things that happen. Mm. And I remember that being like a really big revelation mm. for me. And I remember mm. like being committed that like, okay, I'm going to just ignore my disgust response. Like this is useless. And that, I, I don't know if that was, was it, but like I, mm. it was very clear, that memory. And I, that feels like it's just in everything mm-hmm. uh, for me. And I think that is related to my sex work. It's oh. like mm. a lot of the time, sometimes I'll be like, ooh, I feel kind of weird about this. And then I'll check. I'm like, is there anything actually, sometimes there is to be clear. Like, I'm not yeah. saying that like, just like I ignore all, you know, red flags internally, but a lot of the time I'm like, well, th- this is a lot of what happened when I was first fucking people in my early twenties. I was like, Ooh, I probably shouldn't bang them, but why? I couldn't think of a good reason. I was like, okay. <laughs> I was just really good at ignoring that. And I think that underlies a lot of the decoupling stuff. Cause like a lot of people do coupling because of disgust responses. Mm. And then there's obviously different types of disgust responses. There's like, you know, there's like thing. There's a really cool survey actually that measured different categories of disgust response, and I'm very high on uh, body horror disgust response. Anything that like if you like break skin, wounds, bleeding, that I can't. I'm like top horrifying. But all the other ones I'm really low on. Anyway, mm. I think that that is the biggest thing. <laughs> that's interesting. No, that that, wow. that sounds like intuitively makes makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um. You know, yeah. I do think that there's something about like. Uh, women just who just have a hard time, you know, not falling in love with the people that they or having catching feelings for the people that they that they sleep with. And mm. if you're able to sort of, I guess, you know, detangle that really well, um, then I think that you're that then sex work would be an easier transition um, or just like a oh, more yeah. more more pleasurable, really. Yeah. And I wonder, too, if there's a connection between that and kind of like the the critical thinking free think space like to to separate your emotional response from from facts like because because you said earlier it's very hard to offend you and i'm i'm you know i know we have to stop but sarah and i talk a lot about temperament like do we just have a particular kind of temperament that we don't get offended by things we don't take things personally in the way that a lot of other women do and is that some kind of like little form of autism or like what what is it but I, I think it's something that a lot of people share who are like wanting to ask these questions in yeah. this particular way yeah yeah cool. all right yeah. well this was really this was really fun yeah. thank you thank you for doing this and yeah um, thank you guys I'm glad I finally got to like directly talk to you guys yeah yeah it, it's it's this has been this has been very educational. Yeah, I'm glad we you know watched your screener. Your assistant screened us and checked our references. Check my yeah. other, yeah. other people who've been on the podcast. If, if we choked them and beat them up. 
So that'd be, I would, I would watch that. Should, that <laughs> I know. Special. Okay. <laughs> we've had guests that choked, tried to beat us up. <laughs> yeah. We've, but... we, we've had, we've had, um, some rough, some rough times, um, With some rough pods, rough times, yeah. but we consented to it ultimately. Right. Like we, we, did. we, 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 we got it. on and we never said no. So big time. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah, well, all. all right. Thank you so much. <laughs> right. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Okay. Bye. Okay. Bye. Hi, it's Megan from a special place in hell. If you enjoy the show and want to support it, there are a couple of ways you can do that. The first is to join our Substack at a special place.substack.com. There you can get access to bonus content every week. You can participate in listener comment threads, and you can even join us for Zoom hangouts where we get together and talk about the show and answer all of your questions. You can also rate and review the show wherever you get your podcasts, including on our new YouTube channel, which is called A Special Place in Hell. Sarah and I are really excited about the future of the podcast, and we're so grateful to have you along with us. So thanks for listening, and we will see you in hell.